Hi everyone, welcome to the Food Fight Podcast. I'm Lakshmi Balathasan. And I'm Matt Eastland. And we're both from EIT Food, Europe's leading food innovation initiative, working to make the food system more sustainable, healthy and trusted. This episode we're calling The Big Takeaway, because as we come to the end of our first series, we want to revisit some of the standout discussions from the past few months and share some of the thought-provoking ideas and learnings that we've encountered, including... We've got to be a part of the solution and be active rather than a passive listener and think that it's all going to be rainbows in a couple of years. And this... I genuinely believe that making protein from smaller organisms does create that future of food um, or future of sustainable protein. Yeah, so I think it's safe to say Matt and I have met some real food heroes this past year. People who've been working tirelessly to make food better for us, for the planet, and ensure equal access to food across the globe. And in terms of innovations, we've heard some things about, you know, beer made from surplus bread, alternative proteins to replace meat products, and also latest projects looking at how we can combat the world's addiction to sugar. And Matt, so if you had to pick one thing you've heard so far that really blew your mind, what would that be? Wow, so many to choose from. Um, I think I was probably kind of in awe of what Rob was doing at Toastel. The idea of making, you know, like really delicious beer from bread that would otherwise go to waste. I really hadn't thought about that. So that that was great. Um, and then in thinking about one of our spotlight episodes. So what food pairing are doing, you know, like mixing data with taste um, like really, really innovative stuff. Uh, and maybe those guys have actually worked out a way to crack the nut of how do you make food which is tasty, healthy and sustainable. So, uh, yeah, I'm really interested in seeing how they progress. What about you, Lakshmi? Yeah, no, I'm about to agree. The food waste industry has been going strong. And I think what Rethink Resource is doing, building a platform to connect industry that has waste products, which other industries might actually be using as ingredients, is fantastic. And, you know, I think allergens is quite topical and what Food Maestro is doing to take the guesswork out of it is fantastic. Yeah, so I totally agree. And I think we're going to be coming on to some of those innovations and entrepreneurs later in the show. Well, I think it's probably good to remind ourselves of where we began the series. And that was a discussion about feeding the growing population. So to put it in perspective, by 2050, the world's population is likely to be around 10 billion people. That's almost 30% extra people on planet Earth in just 30 years. And the question really is, how are we going to manage? In the UK, we produce less food than we consume. So therefore, we import a lot of the food that we need. There's a harsh reality that we consume too much. We consume too much meat, we consume too many calories, and that goes across the board. We consume too much energy. Cheap food has been really a centre of policies in US, policy in Europe, policy in most parts of the world, really. And now the perversion of it is that there's too much mm. being consumed because it's so cheap. We have to face a harsh reality that we're going to have to reduce some of that consumption to spread consumption more evenly because there are other parts of the world and other populations who need to, to actually have more. That was Professor Corinna Hawkes, Director of the Centre for Food Policy of City University London and Stefan Duran from Queen's University Belfast setting the scene for us. And for me, Corinna really hit the nail on the head explaining the unevenness in the spread of consumption. Yeah, that's right, Matt. So on the one hand, we've got 2 billion people who are overweight or obese today. And on the other hand, there's 800 million people who are currently undernourished. So that's massive food inequality 
And I think the divide will only continue to grow. So Karina and Stefan really worked with us to set out the challenge. But then that poses a whole bunch of questions that we've been exploring ever since throughout the Food Fight podcast. So how do we feed a growing population whilst available farmland and resources are decreasing? How do we do all this in a healthy way where everybody then has access to a balanced diet? And how do we minimise our impact on the planet and learn to produce and use food in a sustainable way. Yeah, and I think the current situation with COVID-19 has really highlighted the fragility of our current food system. It's exposed the food inequalities and also highlighted the bottlenecks in our food supply chain. I do wonder whether it also doesn't represent quite a massive opportunity for the food sector to innovate. And innovation is something that we've been talking throughout the Food Fight uh, series but listening to Corinna, I mean, one of the, the the kind of the big takeaway for me from the discussion was that, you know, she just said it bluntly, we all need to consume less. Uh, and, you know, what does that mean? You know, can we do that? Where people can make an impact is by potentially wasting less, so throwing away less food and being more inventive by making use of food that's already in their fridge. So let's start with waste then in terms of the solutions. If we could all waste less, that's definitely going to help the problem. I think everyone that works in the food and drink industry is passionate and understand that there is this catastrophic crisis at hand where one third of the food that we're producing is going to waste. The public, I don't think, are so aware. Typically, we're quite blind to this. It's happening in big factories. It's happening behind the scenes. It's not just us as consumers wasting food. It's happening throughout the whole supply chain. Mm -hmm. And it's the biggest cause of climate change, the food industry, People think of it in isolation, but when you consider the deforestation, the energy usage, the transportation, when one third goes to waste, there's such an efficiency issue there. And so I think if the public were more aware of this, it would be quite refreshing to see that there's actually quite a tangible solution for us to solve. So that was Rob Wilson there from Toastale talking about the scale of the food waste problem. Yeah, and I still can't get over the statistic that one third of all food produced is wasted globally. That is enormous. And when we think about that from a sustainability point of view and the message that people like Greta Thunberg are so brilliantly sharing, we don't always make that connection to food. But as Rob was saying, it's actually food production and the transport of food that contributes to that in a massive way. So what can we do? Tessa Clark is the CEO of a food sharing platform called Olio that helps connect neighbors and also local businesses to reduce food waste. She had some great tips for us. A couple of things I would always recommend. The first thing is to plan your meals for the week, which might sound incredibly boring, but actually it's surprisingly fun. Uh, if on a Sunday night you kind of sit down and, and plan uh, your meals for the week. Second thing then is to shop to your plan. The third thing is to learn some tips and tricks about how to store your food. There are some fantastic pieces of information out there on the internet. So, you know, for example, tomatoes should uh, never be stored in the fridge. Mm -hmm. Potatoes and onions should never be stored together. You can wrap some beeswax wrap or cling film over the top of bananas to make them last for longer. A slice of onion in with an avocado will stop it from... An opened avocado will stop mm -hmm. it from going brown. I never knew that. I know, so that's one of my favourites. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, so there's an awful lot that you can do kind of in the home through just proper storage of your food. 
The next thing really is to get creative. So to experiment in the kitchen and to kind of cook with leftovers and use up what you've got. And then finally, obviously, you know, shameless pitch for Olio. But if all of the above hasn't worked, <laughs> then clearly please share your food with a neighbour rather than toss it in the bin. Yeah, brilliant tips from Tessa for reducing food waste at home there. And the one thing that I was so amazed with, I now actually do myself all the time, onion and avocado together, that really does work. And she also mentioned her food sharing platform, Olio, which she's actually then launched herself to really tackle this problem on a much bigger scale. Yeah, Olio has just recently rescued me when I had a refrigerator malfunction and I was able to share my contents of my freezer with my neighbors and nothing had to go to waste. Nice. So well done, Olio. So food waste at home is one side to take very seriously, but there are other stages where food waste happens. And we've had some really interesting conversations around this subject. David Catt from Wasteless shared the way they're helping food retailers reduce food waste through AI-powered dynamic pricing. And in another one of our many episodes, I also really enjoyed hearing about Banner Booms, a startup created out of EIT Foods education and entrepreneurship programs who are giving new life to surplus bananas by turning them into a sustainable breakfast cereal. I had the privilege of working with this uh, company two years ago when they formed and being not a big fan of bananas, they've made a potential waste product very tasty and very innovative. So what they're doing is they're collecting um, banana, extruding them and making almost like cocoa puffs but made with bananas. It's yeah. pretty great. They sent me a packet of their Banana Boom cereal. It is actually really, really tasty. So kudos to them. I think uh, what they've done, particularly as they were students as well as also being entrepreneurs, incredible. And I think this one is a great example of doing both, um, focusing on sustainability and also on health, because I can see this being a great, tasty, delicious, but healthy treat for kids. Yeah, this idea of uh, using food and side streams to create new desirable products form the basis of probably one of our favorite episodes of the season one. And I want to hand back over to Rob Wilson, who we've already heard from, to explain a little bit more about his company Toastel. Um, who are using waste bread to replace grains in the brewing process and actually then create delicious beer. And then we also hear from his co-guest, Linda Greeder of Rethink Resource, a company who created this platform to allow food businesses to actually trade their waste side streams together. The worst offender uh, of them all when it comes to food waste is the humble loaf of bread. So 44% of the bread that's baked in the UK goes to waste. And wow. when we realised that you could brew a really delicious beer using that bread, and, and in fact the origins of beer production that date back thousands of years have always had bread in the ingredients up until really the Industrial Revolution. Is that right? Local bakeries, local breweries would partner up and surplus would be passed on to the brewery. Oh. Uh, and so... I guess we love the whole circular economy nature of what we're doing, but also the circularity of bringing the beer production back to its origins. Uh, an element of romance, I guess, in, in that, given the craft beer uh, boom that, that's happening. We can connect different companies or different industries already that can reuse another's side streams. So, for example, there's a cosmetic producer on our platform and asking for some ingredient that he can use as a replacement for plastic beans for exfoliants, for, mm -hmm. for body scrubs. But he probably doesn't know at that moment what it could be. 
And what our platform then does is it screens our database of registered site streams and gives him an output of possible matches. Okay. And for that example, it could either be nut shells or right. raspberry seeds or sorry, anything sorry, similar. Ra raspberry seeds? Yes. I think thanks to that episode and both Rob and Linda has probably given our listeners some really great ideas of what to do with the waste products that they might just have in their household. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and the stuff from Linda, uh, I mean, the raspberry seeds things within the pharmaceutical industry still blows my mind. Just that idea of being able to use waste food, like genuine waste food in, an, in another way and give it another source of life is just, uh, yeah, fabulous. Love that. It was also really great. So Rob talked about that episode that they have, you know, open source their recipes. So that's anybody right. sitting at home can have a go. So I'm sure that's really come in handy right now. And I hear that everybody's taking up baking as a new hobby these days, being stuck at home. So Toastale is a place to go if you want to look into how to convert your surplus sourdough into some delicious beer. Yeah. I mean, there's so many uh, great food waste projects in EIT Food, and I guess I'd really encourage everybody to sort of check them out. You know, I just suppose for people listening, you know, what are the waste takeaways for consumers' luxury? What have we learned from all of these great people we've had in the studio with us? Well, that clip from Tessa just reminded me that I should not be keeping my tomatoes in the refrigerator. And it's really incredible, you know, simple tips of how to store your fruit and vegetable, where to store them can really go a long way from saving really good food from being binned. I agree with you. And I think there's just some other, maybe two other things which I took away is one, which was when you go shopping for food, you just need to have a list. And it sounds so simple, but so many of us don't do it. So you just end up buying way too much food or food that actually doesn't fit anywhere in terms of the meals you want to create. So you end up leaving it in the fridge and wasting it. Uh, and then when you have actually cooked your meals, how many people are actually making better use of their, their freezer? Like Rob was talking about just as soon as you've finished creating that great meal, don't let it go off. Just portion it up, stick it in the freezer, and then you've got a delicious meal pretty much whenever you want it. So it's just nice, simple tips that we can all do. Well, the next big talking point we want to move on to, which relates back to both feeding a growing population and creating a more sustainable food system, is a discussion around alternative proteins or meat alternatives. And this has been a really hot topic the last couple of years. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's a, it's a huge multifaceted topic this one and where there's a lot of interesting exciting innovations happening in the food sector so why don't we hand over to some of our guests to explain more for me we're alternatives to the animal right now the only protein that has scaled since the dawn of time has been the animal the animal still accounts for 95 percent plus of our protein sources mm -hmm. so for me anything outside of the animal so outside of meat and fish is the alternatives and it captures plants it captures fungi and it captures emerging technologies of insects cultured meat um, so a fairly broad landscape we know that for many people around the world currently there really isn't a choice you know and that many of the livestock options for example provide really valuable opportunities for people to get their protein nutrition which is very difficult to see how that could change in the near term so there's quite an interesting question for me which we're increasingly exploring as part of the challenge of kind of you know, how do we make sure that we hit that right balance and that the alternative proteins that are coming onto the market are really delivering on the sustainability and the health side of things? I genuinely believe that making protein from smaller organisms does create that future of food um, or future of sustainable protein. To explain 
how we do that. It sounds sciencey. Um, in reality, we take the sugars out of grains such as wheat and maize, mm -hmm. and we ferment it. So large-scale fermentation, large-scale fermentation tanks, similar way that you'd see large-scale brewing tanks or the way large-scale vats making yogurt. We convert the sugars using fungi into protein in a, in a single-step fermentation. And what we make is a whole biomass, a whole food which contains protein and fibre, which is then very versatile. Versatile for a range of category applications and product applications. So you've just heard the voices of Jim Laird from the startup 3F Bio and also Roberta Eiley from Forum for the Future. Yeah, so for me, I guess the things that I, I really liked about this is A, that you can just basically brew protein on this huge scale potentially and then transform it into foods that people kind of uh, at least feel that they know and love. So Jim was talking about, you know, you can turn it into sausages, into burgers, into things that look like chicken, you know, so it brings alternative proteins a lot closer to consumers, but it's really potentially very healthy and very sustainable. So actually it's something that consumers will hopefully be, you know, happy to adopt. And obviously they are adopting it in much bigger and bigger ways. And for me, what I thought was quite interesting is that we are looking to other cultures and looking to other sources of food and try, being a little bit more creative, because I guess for us, it, meat and two veg is sort of the easiest typical option that we tend to go to. But opening it up and looking at other alternative sources of protein will enable us to be more creative in the kitchen. I think this is going to also have a really big impact on our health. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I think Jim was also talking about the different types of protein that you can have. So the ones that you kind of know already, so vegetable proteins, soya proteins, uh, and obviously what, what Jim was doing, but um, also things like insects and lab-grown meat, which you know I know some people will find that fairly revolting, but potentially this is something which is going to be really important in the future. And, and certainly from a sustainability perspective, it could be a big deal. Um, from an ethical perspective, it could be a big deal. You still like meat, but you're actually growing meat. You know, is, is that something we're going to accept? I think this sector is just really, really exciting. And going back to, you know, what Corinna was saying right at the start, you know, it could be the answer for, you know, in order to be able to feed the world 10 billion people by 2050, alternative proteins have, have definitely got a good chance of being the part of that solution. Yeah, and I agree, Matt. I think, you know, I think something that Jim's pointed out to us is like alternative proteins is not going to completely replace meat. Mm. But I think what it's going to do is have us consume less and value actual meat products that are currently on the market. And the, the interesting thing that alternative meat has done, because, you know, vegan burgers and vegetarianism has been around for a really long time, but alternative meats and bringing in technology has made vegan burgers sexy again, yeah, which I right. think has been, an, you know, an astonishing accomplishment. Yeah. So I think maybe there's maybe this is something about balance. So, you know, at the moment, maybe the world is much more focused on like traditional meat farming and production, whereas in actual fact, you know, what alternative proteins could do is it could it could make up maybe some of the lion's share of that, which will then allow farmers to focus on, you know, rearing like really great quality, organic, grass-fed, you know, like really kind of artisanal meat products. So the balance shifts a bit, but like Jim says, I don't think you're ever going to get rid of meat. And there's a lot of people out there who probably don't want that as well. So maybe this is just a bit more about getting the balance right. And technology has really played a role in giving us a taste and texture. And the key thing to this market for it to continue to grow and survive is all about taste. I think delicious does come first for, in food or delicious and acceptability. And, you know, within the protein choices and meat and fish are part of those protein choices. They have for some consumers 
given deliciousness and they tick lots of boxes for lots of consumers. Um, what the plant space has to do is try and give the consumer what it loves and that will include succulents, texture, lack of aftertaste and those are things which everything that is competing with the animal has to deliver against. So succulents, te- I think texture probably comes back as almost top of the list when you mm-hmm. talk to consumers. Mm. If you get the texture wrong, then texture is part of taste. You've lost the, the consumer. The cons- you've lost the consumer. Mm. Yeah, so I think yeah, Jim sums it up really well there. You've got to be able to compete with traditional meat products if people feel that they have a good alternative. And you know, maybe there are some examples out there where actually alternative proteins taste even better um, and cleaner and healthier than what people are used to, then surely that's only going to make this industry flourish even more. Absolutely. We could literally run a whole series just looking at alternative proteins. It's so popular at the moment. So if you want to hear more about Jim and his alternative proteins, uh, please check out 3F Bio. And on the subject of alternative proteins, uh, we also, in our mini-series, interviewed Aleph Farms. They're a really interesting company that are actually looking at the field of cellular agriculture, which is basically taking cells from a real cow and then growing it in a lab, in a slaughter-free environment, which is completely mind-boggling. So we can actually have real meat with the same taste and texture without any of the guilt, which is absolutely amazing. That is amazing. So I think one of the big takeaways for me on alternative proteins was the fact that it's something that might actually make food, protein specifically, much more affordable for more people. So being able to feed more people more sustainably and also more healthily as well. So, you know, really, really important emerging part of the food sector. Yeah, it's a really good point, Matt. And health in the food sector is something that I'm really passionate about. Because I feel like with a big focus on sustainability, we sometimes forget that a lot of the food that we eat could be sustainable, but can still have negative impact on our health. Mm. And we hosted a great number of really lively panels at events last year, discussing how we make food healthier, and really importantly, whose responsibility is it? I always say that there are two ways that people really change when in regards to food, which are when they become parents and when they get sick. That's when they seek out transformation. But I mean, we don't have to become sick to change. We can already have a healthy diet in order to prevent becoming sick. And what I focus now as an influence is to work with children because I believe that food education for children is the best way for us to create a healthy community. That was Bella Gill, who spoke to us live at Seeds and Chips last year that took place in Milan. Yeah, and what Bella said there was one of the standout moments from the whole series for me. I've never heard anybody so succinctly summarise, you know, sort of health and, and the issues around that. The fact that we only tend to think of healthy food and our health and well-being when we either get sick or when we become parents. And actually, our focus is should be on prevention and actually just eating healthy food as part of our lifestyle so that actually when you have kids, you know, it's just part and parcel of your family life. Yeah, and Bella talked about positive influences, especially on children and supermarkets, really needing to step up to help people make healthier choices. And for me, the key takeaway there is that healthy foods and the impact on our health is everyone's problem, not only the consumers, but all of the industry. And we really discuss this topic from both a industry perspective and from a consumer's perspective. So please do check out that podcast. 
And more recently on a similar topic, when we visited Lisbon for our annual EIT Food Venture Summit with loads of startups and you know, loads of our partners there, we hosted a discussion about sugar and our addictive love of it. Um, so we posed the question to a panel of experts about, you know, is sugar the new tobacco? And what can we do as consumers, but also what is the industry doing to help reduce the amount of sugar in our foods to try and help make us all healthier? But what was really amazing was that we met two companies working on sugar replacements that feature the sweetness, the structural properties of sugar, without having such dramatic health downsides. The insight that we work on to try and address this problem is not that sugar, excess sugar consumption per se is bad, but consumption of the wrong type of sugars is the real issue. So we don't help address the problem by developing a brand new ingredient never before seen by mankind. Instead, what we do is we go to the most abundant source of sugar in nature, which is actually in dietary fiber. So I, I spent my academic career working on dietary fiber, plant carbohydrates. Most people don't know that dietary fiber is actually composed almost entirely of sugars. So what we do is we take dietary fiber, we fragment it down in a similar way to how bacteria in your gut fragment down when they feed on, on fiber. And we find that we can take fiber and make it behave like sugar in food and yet still behaves like fiber in your body. So we can make cookies, cakes, ice creams, etc., which taste like they have cane sugar in them, but instead of causing sugar spikes, they actually attenuate blood sugar levels like fiber does. Instead of causing excess cravings after eating them, they actually fill you up like fiber does. Ilan, you do it totally different, right? You're focusing on protein. Can you tell me a little bit more about Amai protein and what you call the sweetest protein in the world? So in Amai, we decided to look into nature and ask what is the solution that nature is giving us. So you have fruits from West Africa to uh, Malaysia and China along the equatorial belt. You have fruits which are sweetened by sweet proteins. They adhere to the sweet receptors just like sugar, but then are digested just like a protein with no remains other than essential amino acids that go into our body. Now, if this is so good, how come we don't use them? We actually do use in the market, there is one protein, it has an E number and you can buy it, but there is a very high cost and scarcity of it. So we looked at the issues, the challenges of these proteins, which is cost and supply, stability, pH, temperature, acidity, and the sensorial profile. And by applying computational protein design coupled to production by fermentation, by precision fermentation, by yeast, just like you brew beer, we make proteins and we made a protein that is stable for pasteurization and that you can put in very small amounts. And because we are 10,000 times sweeter than sugar, one teaspoon of our protein replaces 50 kilograms of sugar. Consequently, we are 90% cheaper than sugar in sweetness units. Amazing. So you've just heard from Tom Simmons, who's the founder of STEM, who is utilizing fiber to replace sugar. And also from Elan Samish, who's the founder of MI Proteins, who have pioneered novel ingredients that can replace sugar. So Matt, it sounds like I missed a really fantastic episode. Yeah, you really did. It was a shame. I mean, Anik did an amazing job stepping in for you, but it was such an interesting panel. And I think that the idea of 
there being, I mean, I didn't even know this, but, you know, you can have sweetness from fiber and sweetness from protein, particularly, it's sort of kind of mind blowing, really. This is the amazing thing about science. And I think it's incredible that we can take two things that are really good for us, fiber and protein, and make it to something that also is delicious, mm. which I find absolutely incredible. That's right. Yeah. And uh, the other thing which really came across nicely on the panel is the fact that, you know, you've got small startups who are doing really interesting, innovative things in this space, but you've also got really big companies like Danone who are working with these startups to actually embed these into their products. So, you're, you know, you've got like loads and loads of products out there now which are actually getting reduced amount of calories from sugar because they're investing in new innovations and technology to bring these kind of sweeteners into their products and ingredients. Yeah, and it's the exciting thing about working at EIT Funo, we get to make that connection. We get to bring these really innovative ideas to industry, then be able to then showcase it to us, the consumers. Okay, so unfortunately, we're actually coming close to the end of the show now. And it's a real shame because we covered so many amazing topics in series one. You know, we spoke about trust in the food industry, uh, you know, and, and whether consumers do trust the, the food industry. We spoke about safety and bridge from Swiss Deco about the amazing technology they're using to sort of track and trace safety through the food supply chain. And we also spoke about the amazing technology that's coming out of the fishing industry as well. So, you know, we couldn't cover them today, but please, please, please check out the episodes because they were really great. But as we're coming to the end, before we round up as a fun thing, I wanted to just pose this question. So if you were to create the ultimate food fight takeaway meal, and Lakshmi, I'm directing this at you, incorporating as many of the great innovations we've been hearing about this series, what would that be? What would it look like? What would you eat? Hmm. So I think well, we talked a lot about uh, meat, but, you know, there's a lot of impact in our oceans with the food that, you know, has an impact on uh, the environment. I would love to see the whole concept of cellular agriculture. So lab-grown fish and chips. Nice. And maybe 3D-printed chips made from very healthy vegetable puree. That might be a thing. Okay. And would this mean that you wouldn't actually be even going into a fish and chip shop? You'd just be producing your own fish and chips takeaway straight at home? Well, I think if we're talking about the ultimate future, I would just go to my computer, press print... And then there will be the 3D printing supermarket that would then deliver me my delicious fish and chips. Okay, nice. 3D printed food, healthy, sustainable, and tasty. Love that. Exactly. And what about you, Matt? What would be your ultimate food five takeaway meal? Um, okay, well, I'm a huge fan of pizza. Uh, I would eat pizza every day if I could. So I guess for me, it would be... A pizza where the dough is made from some combination of alternative proteins to kind of bump up that protein content. And then I guess the toppings would have to come from some kind of like food sharing app where they were about to go to waste, but actually they go straight onto your pizza. I don't know, maybe make it a social thing where actually because of the fact that the food was about to go to waste, it actually reduces the price of the pizza. More pizza for everyone and then throw on top... If you could, while you're making the pizza base, if you've got any leftover breadcrumbs, turn them into beer so you can have beer with your pizza. Ah, living the dream. <laughs> 
So we packed quite a bit into this episode, but I feel like it was really good to recap and think about all the positive actions we're making towards a more sustainable and healthy food system. So that's it from us for this time, but don't worry, we're definitely going to come back for series two. But in the meantime, if you want to know more about EIT Food and the innovators and entrepreneurs working hard to transform our food system to make it more sustainable and healthy, please check us out at eitfood.eu or at Twitter at EIT underscore food. So from me, Lakshmi Baldassan. And from me, Matt Eason, thanks everybody for listening and we're all really looking forward to being back with you all very soon in a few weeks' time. Take care, everybody, and keep fighting for a better food future. Bye for now. Bye.